You want to read from Dante? Is it Dante time? Yeah. All right, let's yes, go. Sweet. All right, let's go. Recently, we celebrated Ash Wednesday in the liturgical calendar for the, the Catholic Church, and I think other Christian churches as well uh, follow the same uh, liturgical year calendar, and they also celebrated Ash Wednesday. Um, this is probably one of my favorite liturgical events of the year. Uh, mm. Ash Wednesday and Holy Thursday mm. are my two favorite. And, you know, even when I didn't take my faith very seriously and I was kind of far away from it and didn't really, you know, was exploring perhaps other denominations or other religions, there was something about Ash Wednesday and Holy Thursday that I absolutely loved. Mm. And I think when it comes, at least Ash Wednesday, it's that the, the liturgical feast revolves around on one hand, man's nothingness and the reality of death. Right. That That's at the core of this feast. And I don't think there's anything more real or mm-hmm. primordial yeah. than your nothingness mm. and your death. Because they are realities that all kind of always lurk in the background. Whether you're, you suppress them or you don't think about them, Yep. Even in your moments of greatest triumph and strength, there's this haunting feeling in the background, though, that you will one day be nothing. Mm-hmm. You'll you'll one day be dust. Yeah, and it will all come to an end in death. So mm. get ready. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is what Ash Wednesday. You know, Ash Wednesday yeah. is a a time for reorientation towards. You know, God, but mm-hmm. you know, you could say to put things in in proper order, to pr- reprioritize mm-hmm. all that, because these are your, these are the two fundamental truths of of your existence. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, I was thinking about the idea of death being not so much as something to fear, as like you're scared of it and you're avoiding it, but just a, a realization that it's you will have to answer to this, mm-hmm. to your life. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you are going to have to put forward what you've done and what you've lacked, mm. and then the repercussions follow. So, like, death is just kind of overarching, just, like, you're going to have to answer for yourself eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, now's a good time to kind of figure that out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, what Ash Wednesday is really, um, the, the spirit of Ash Wednesday is to prepare yourself for the sacred mysteries that will come, um, the Paschal mysteries that will come starting with Holy Thursday, mm-hmm. Good Friday, and then um, Easter. Um, but I think it's, it's interesting that you said that your two favorite, um, you know, some of your favorite days out of the liturgical year is Ash Wednesday and Holy Thursday. It's because Ash Wednesday, yes, you're remembering your death, but then on Holy Thursday we begin to re- um, remember God's death. Right, And yeah. so mm-hmm. there's this interesting um, connection between, like, humanity and God that we're really remembering mm-hmm. during the Paschal Mysteries. Um, and that's what it's leading up to. It's like this is this is the central, um, the, the the central mysteries of our faith um, that we're getting ready to remember. Mm-hmm. And you can't really remember them well if you're focused on other things, right? That's so. That's you know we can get to that mm-hmm. a little bit later. The connectedness of um, uh, our focus and, and Ash Wednesday mm-hmm. and Lent and how that connects to um, focusing on the Paschal mysteries. But um, I was just thinking too that uh, in, every time we go to Mass. Um, it's kind of like a microcosm of uh, Ash Wednesday, Lent, and Easter, in the sense that when we start the Mass, we say, let us acknowledge our sins, mm. so we can celebrate these sacred mysteries, mm-hmm. right? And so you're beginning with remembering your sins, remembering your mortality, right, mm-hmm. your weaknesses, right. so you can better be prepared to receive our Lord, to remember His passion, death, resurrection at the sacrifice of the altar. Mm-hmm. Um, but Lent and Easter is kind of like that expanded <laughs> right? right over 50 days or 40 mm-hmm. you know 40 days and then um easter time mm-hmm. um so that that remembering your mortality um then connecting that to the to the truth that god became man to mm-hmm. share in our mortality right and then rescues us from that um you know it's it's interesting <clears throat> one of the uh, uh options when the, the the priest or the the minister the person uh, blesses the um, other people with ashes, is to say, "Remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return." Beautiful, poetic, mm-hmm. you know, um, like the cycle of life. 
But it did get me thinking, aren't our lives more than dust? You know, like to say, remember, you are dust. You know, isn't there a sense in which Christianity and Catholicism, I think in particular, really um, exalts the, the human person, body and soul? Um, and so to admit that, like, you are dust, it has, like, this strange dualistic um, mm. undertone to it. Um, and while it is beautiful, I think there, and remembering your mortality, absolutely essential in, in connecting, again, to preparing ourselves for the Paschal Mysteries. Um, what does it mean to remember that we are <clears throat> dust now? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you got to say anything about that. Yeah, it yeah, does yeah. seem like it, it brings to mind just, like, you are in the cycle of death. <clears throat> You know what I'm saying? Like, like Ash Wednesday is the day to remember that like without revelation and without salvation, you will continue the cycle of death from mm-hmm. dust to dust. Um, and it does seem like it's extended into all of Lent leading up to Easter in that you recognize your sin or the fact that you're going to die. And then it's a journey through a desert of like, well, then how, what is the best way to live this life? How, what is the best way to sacrifice? What is the best way to die? Mm-hmm. And the answer is in Christ. And then it's exemplified in his life when he became man and died and rose again and conquered death. So it's yeah. like the, the beginning of the story is like, you're in the cycle. Like I was lost in a, in a deep wood or yeah. a dark wood, like a Dante, where it's like, you're first there and you recognize that you're in the cycle of dust. Yeah. And then what? And then it's salvation history. Right, right. Uh, yeah, Ash Wednesday. You can definitely, you can definitely see why Nietzsche may have called, or why Nietzsche called Christianity a nihilistic religion, because mm. it's, it's you know to to reject this life and that you're nothing, um, you're dust. To yeah. dust you shall return. You only went to mass on Ash Wednesday, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right? Right? Yeah, it, because there is viewed from a certain point, viewed from uh, I guess maybe a Nietzschean point of view, Christianity does have this kind of nihilistic undertone. Mm. of nothingness, mm-hmm. of rejection of life, of rejection of our detachment, penance. Um, but to your point, Father, it's um, we're not, to, to paraphrase a great philosopher, Patrick Starr, <laughs> we're not just any ordinary dust. We're advanced dust. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, there is this element of, uh, as the Psalms say, you know, you, I've made you little less than the angels, you know, but, yeah, right. but you shall die like men. You know, yeah. like, you know, yeah. like, you know mm-hmm. Christ says, you know, is it not written in your law that you know, you're gods? Yeah. So there's this this weird element of we are the most exalted thing in creation, mm-hmm. but we will die. Yeah. yeah. Creation. We're still creation. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It, it, well, exactly. Yeah. You're yeah. you're you're still. So it, it's it's not that it, we're purely nothing. It's mm-hmm. just in relation to God. Right. You're nothing. Yeah. In relation yeah. to the highest being. You, you can't sustain yourself from day to day. Mm-hmm. You can't create out of thin air. Yeah. So compared to God, you are, in fact, this, this nothingness. Right. But yeah. that's, not your, that's not the core. That's not the end of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not nihil, a nihilistic end. Right. It's that you're actually called to, eternal, to an eternal vocation, an eternal yeah. destiny. Because it seems like there's two facets uh, in looking at um, the projection of history. One, that it is linear and that as Christians, we do believe that history will have its end. Um, you know, he will come again um, in glory to judge the living and the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not, you know, we don't believe in a cycle of um, history. Mm-hmm. We believe it's linear. But at the same time, um, throughout that linearity, there are cycles. And so when we experience our lives, um, it seems cyclical mm-hmm. uh, in that, you know, we are dust and to dust we shall return. Um, that's why I think it's it's... It's a wise way to um, view life to say that life is suffering. Uh, death is the end of right. all things. Yes, in relation to a subjective experience of history. But when you look at it, I think Benedict XVI, Ratzinger, made this point in Spirit of the Liturgy when he's talking about um, the salvation history, is that um, it, it is linear with cycles. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, right. And so I think that's what Ash Wednesday is kind of getting at, is that, yes, in your subjective experience of life, it is dust. It right. is dust. But we await this, the, the restoration of all things. Right. Um, and so even in this life of dust, even in death, 
there's hope in that, you know? Right. Um, and we've talked about that in our, our yeah. discussion with Ratzinger, uh-huh. um, that, you know, even the finality of death, um, there, there can still be hope. But I think Ash Wednesday in saying that your dust into dust you shall return, you will experience this life as suffering. Right. But look at what's at the end of the 40 days. It's yeah. like God ri- raises up man from the dust. It does oh. seem like the liturgical years really just trying to get you to experience those things like in and of themselves at like at a certain time, you know, cause it's like, you don't want to caveat everything. It's like, okay, to dust, to dust and we die, but this hope of salvation is like, okay, that that's coming later. Like we really want you to sit with this for a little yeah, bit that's mm-hmm. fair. and really yeah. understand this. And then Easter comes and we want you to sit with this yeah. for a little bit and rejoice. And it's now time for praise and a time for worship and celebration. So it's like, you just have these cycles that the church is trying to like just get you to really focus on. But like you said, you, you even see them in the liturgy itself as like a mini cycle. Yeah. So if you see it as a fractal thing, it's like the whole year is supposed to be taken as the whole, but today is the day that we remember our sins and yeah. remember that we're dust, knowing that there's a cycle yeah. that's going to get to a certain point later. That's the whole good news aspect of right. Easter. Right, right, right. And so, yeah, as we're going through this season, um, we do await, yeah, again, we await what's coming in hope. Um, but like you said, I think it's important that we don't caveat that. It's like, you know, like, well, we just we just go through this now and, um, you know, at the end of 40 days and then I can have my candy. Right, um, right. That's, yeah, that's not, that's not the point. It's really to immerse yourself now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in immersing ourselves, this is something that um, else that I've been thinking about. Um, how does, how is our relationship with um, the world? Uh, and created goods. Um, how, how does that relate to Lent? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that really um, was foundational foundational in um, developing my thinking is how um, the world fundamentally is good. Uh, and, and reading things like Chesterton, mm-hmm. um, reading uh, good classical literature, um, especially reading Dante, um, you know, to, to, to remember that pleasure is not in its essence, evil or totally depraved. Uh Um, God wants us to have pleasure, but it has to be properly oriented. Um, But, you know, during Lent, it seems like we're encouraged to uh, detach from all pleasure uh, as if it is bad. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the question becomes, like, is pleasure good or bad? Mm -hmm. And if it's good, then why do we totally detach ourselves from pleasure during Lent, we're encouraged to do so, um, if it can be uh, a good thing. Right. Um, it is a good thing. Or it is yeah. a good thing, mm-hmm. yeah. Not only can be, mm-hmm. it is. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, what are your thoughts on just pleasure in relationship to Lent? Um, yeah, because, like, obviously, you know, having a good meal right. is good. Yeah. It's good. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's good to delight in those things. Um, but, you know, especially Ash Wednesday, Good Friday, we're, we're encouraged to fast. Right. Not only just have a good meal, but it should be almost, an, uh, you know, an attractive meal. Right, <laughs> you right. know, uh-huh. just, just your nutrition and that's it, you know, so. Yeah, it, it seems like there's a, there's a few elements there. One um, is an element of maybe, um, I don't want to say mindfulness because that's. <laughs> Too Eastern. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, um, or intentionality, but. You can't just kind of mindlessly consume whatever's around you uh, when you're fasting. You have you know, well, so when you're fasting, yes, but then also when you're fasting from particular foods, so uh, meat on Fridays mm-hmm. and meat on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, that you have to actually think about these things. You have to right. pay attention to what you're eating and intentionally um, live that day in a spirit of mortification. Mm-hmm. If, if that yep. if that makes sense, so it's not that you're in 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 doing so, um, you're not rejecting pleasure, but you're perhaps trying to place it in a in a in a better or well ordered system mm-hmm. of this this the pleasure I'm seeking from this meal is really the pleasure of sustaining me, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. all it can be today is yeah. yep. that thing that sustains me as opposed to maybe a an excess of this isn't necessary, but I do enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now it's it's about kind of getting to the 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 root of life, which is yeah. Um, 
not not simply pleasure, but a life in God, I guess. Yeah, right, right, right. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it definitely has something to to do with attention and uh, those things becoming idols unto themselves. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's always keeping them in check that they fit, like you said, Lee, into a hierarchy of values. And so it's forcing you to focus on the highest thing and realize what where those things actually fit. So, yeah. you know, like f- for the example of food, it's like this this is sustenance and I can take pleasure in this, but this is not an idol unto himself unto itself and it's really so that i have energy to go about my day ultimately to worship you know like to again to attend to the highest thing to to pray to be with my family um and then it starts to all those things start to fit and it's just kind of a a good gut check no pun intended on just (laughs) making sure that the things in your daily life aren't sources of uh distraction and that's you know like off track becoming distract Yeah. Yeah. yeah I I think, yes, all that is true, but there is a, there's a problem with saying that like food is only sustenance to get you to worship or to get you to pay attention to the right thing insofar as that, um, then you are just reducing the good of food to utility, sustenance and utility. Um, and so that's the thing when you call something good and when you say that you can delight in it properly, Mm -hmm. that it is good to delight in it. You're, you're saying that it's not just an end mm-hmm. to sustain you. Mm-hmm. You're saying that in and of itself, there's value in it. And it's okay to delight in that, right? And, and that's what we hold as Catholics is that all things have, right. all things have that dignity mm-hmm. um, of being true, good, and beautiful, right? And so like, this is why if you just held the, 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 if you just held the truth that um, – or if you just believed – that food is just to get you to your end so that you can work better, so that you can mm-hmm. you know, provide for your family, and then you can worship, uh, then there would be no such things as celebrations. Like, why would you cook a fancy meal for your family and enjoy mm-hmm. that if it's just sustenance, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that's where I think, this is where the, the, the complication arises with fasting uh, and, um, and penance, is that, like, what is our relationship to food? Mm-hmm. Um, as... as as Chestertonian Catholics, right, yeah. <laughs> um, that, that can delight in these good things. Mm-hmm. Um, what does it mean to fast? I think, can I answer my own question? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I, think, um, I think that um, to delight in things properly um, is difficult. Yeah. I think to delight in things properly, properly is difficult for human beings, um, mainly because it's so easy to make these things gods unto themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you are on, when you're in a, ha- a, a habitual life uh, that is constantly surrounded by the comforts of food, you're taking pleasure in food constantly, um, you know, your, your bed is super comfortable, mm-hmm. you know, everything around you is just so insulated and, and comfortable. It's really, it's hard to remember how your soul then desires God. Because it's right. you, you, you fall into this like this, uh, almost like an imaginary fantasy world where it's like this is mm-hmm. all I need, mm-hmm. this is all I need, and you just forget the transcendent quality of your life. Yeah, and I think I think that's what um, fasting is meant to do. Is that yes, you know, food is good, you can take pleasure in it, yada yada, all good. Mm-hmm. But when you fast, you're saying I'm not going to partake in this good now. So that I can remind myself how much more I need God. Like if yeah. you if you think if you think um, delighting in food is is is, is a good pleasure. Mm-hmm. Well, when you don't have that comfort, it's like well that like that's what your soul is feeling mm-hmm. in relation to God. And this is why um, prayer when you're hungry is so much more effective <laughs> than mm-hmm. when prayer when you're full. Yeah. Not only because you yeah. know you want to naturally take a mm-hmm. nap, um, but I think also because um, that that connection between body soul. Yeah, it's like just as your body hungers for food, so mm-hmm. your so is your soul thirsting for God. Right, uh, and the Psalms make that connection too. Um, like you know, my soul is thirsting mm-hmm. for God. Like these these images, these symbolic images of thirsting, yep. hungering. Um, that's all super appropriate mm-hmm. um, to talk about, like a desire for God. Um, and so, just like a just like an athlete, right, would. If he's training for a specific event, he would fast from certain things. He's not saying like these are evil. Yeah. 
but it's like for this purpose right now right. to remind myself to re- to orient myself towards mm-hmm. a goal, I have to I have to separate myself from some things, um, right. for now, right? right. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's important to make the distinction between seeing something as utility and then seeing something as lower in the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So to say something, to say food is a means to worship ultimately can be either utilitarian, like that's all it is, or that it fits in a hierarchy of affordances in your life that allows for the highest thing. You know what I'm saying? This is like the whole cosmic mountain thing where it's mm-hmm. like the garment of skin. Like as you go down the mountain, there's more and more things on you that allow you to be in the world. Yeah. But if you're going up the mountain, you take those things off. So something like fasting is like, you know, removing the garment to skin. That doesn't mean that the garments of skin are bad. Yeah. It just means that when you're when you're focused on the highest thing and you're praying and, and you're trying to have that attention, sometimes it's necessary to remove those things. Yeah. But so when I enjoy a good meal, um, the way I see it is that it partakes in my life in the context of ultimately my worship. Not like it gives me the amount of calories for me to live on till Sunday yeah. to go to Mass. Like that's a different way of seeing it right. as opposed to mm-hmm. like this participates in my life, but it's not a God unto himself. Yeah. Yeah. It I don't right, know if that right. makes any sense. No, it does. It does. Properly ordered a hierarchy of goods. Um, yeah. It's not either or, right? Um, so, yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. I mean, created goods are supposed to be used, though, for for your end. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Saying Nasus of Loyola, you, you, your, the purpose of your life is one, uh, you know, union with God to get, you know, to get mm-hmm. to heaven, and then secondly to uh, be at service to others and to get mm-hmm. you there. And you're supposed to use everything around you for that purpose. Right. So, I I do think I, I don't necessarily think it's a, a utilitarian thing to your mm-hmm. point, Matt. I, I do think it's an, a hierarchy thing that there is some level though that. Food is a means towards these ends, mm-hmm. right? That that you can delight in them, but only in so far as they help you achieve your other ends, right? Because if you're enjoying something and it cannot be, this would be a Saint John the Cross point. If it cannot be directed towards God, right? Then it, then you are enjoying it just for itself, right? And then is that now becoming the end of it? Yeah, an idol. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I, I do think that there is a certain tradition, though, that aims all these goods. Towards an end. Towards an yeah. end. No, yeah, the, no, and the I, thing I recognize is, that. You, yeah, I, think, I think this is something that, like, contemplation and prayer allows you to see, is that if you're enjoying a meal, you can make the connection about how this reveals a certain type of beauty of God. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And that and that increases your prayer, increases your appreciation yes. and your knowledge or your perception of beauty in the world. Like all of that's actually happening. But it, it gets reduced to being like, wow, the steak is so delicious. Yeah. But like that's what's really going on in you if you're right. properly oriented, is that it's it's um allowing you to see the beauty in life and that ultimately brings you closer to God. All right. So exactly. that is yes. quote unquote utilitarian, but not really. Like it's yes. not utilitarian in that way. It just functions as the catalyst towards right closeness to the transcendence beauty yeah um yeah no that, that that's a, that's a good point that's a good point too um I, I think it's yeah when you're delighting in created goods um and, and properly delighting in it uh that could be a way to positively transcend this um, is also why uh, lent um the church encourages almsgiving because the same thing yeah. with money mm-hmm. like money cannot be a means unto itself like a uh you know a god unto itself um, and it's technically for you and your advancement towards God and for other people. Yeah. And so you should create a habit in which that you acknowledge that it is not for its own sake yeah. and you give it to other people or you give it to the church, like what have you. Um, yeah, exactly. For the same reasons. Like, can you delight in earthly pleasures that are afforded by money? Sure. But only insofar as they participate in yeah. ultimately your growing closer to God and the other people around you right. as well. And, and you yeah. know, so that's that's fasting, that's almsgiving, and then, of course, prayer. Yeah. Those are the three penitential practices that mm-hmm. we are encouraged to take up during Lent. And um, and prayer, of course, uh, same thing. is like connecting you to that yeah. goal, to reorienting your, um, your whole life. And so done together, those things remind you how much you need God. 
ultimately. Right. Um, all of these things remind me, they all have the same thing in common. That's like, you are not God, <laughs> you yeah. know, like it's like, yeah. like yeah. the earth, the fasting is like, do not use this power for its own sake. Money, same thing. Do not use this power for its own sake. Prayer is like, you are not all powerful. Like bow before the almighty. Yeah. So it's, it's all got this like Lord of the Rings, destroy the ring kind of vibe <laughs> yeah. of like, you know, mm -hmm. ultimate power is not your own to grasp. Yeah. Get rid of it. Right. And, you know, going back to the um, idea of pleasure, um, we're supposed to take pleasure in proper things, right? And so the the, the ultimate thing you can fast from um, is sin, <laughs> you know, yeah. in your life, you know? <laughs> Giving up if stealing you, for Lent. Right. Or if, you, if, you're, if your pleasure is um, misdirected, right, and, and you're attached to a certain sin, mm -hmm. now is the time to really give that up. That's the ultimate thing that you can really give up more than candy or more yeah. than whatever right. it is. Um, so that at the end of Lent, detached from material pleasures, you can at you can take more pleasure in those things that are ultimately good. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, imagine if you have a really fulfilling Lent uh, where it's been a struggle, um, but, you know, you're really stripping yourself of material comforts. Then come the triduum. Yeah. Like, how much more are you going to actually take in that mystery? Mm-hmm. Um, you can almost imagine like those material comforts as being a buffer yeah. between you and like spiritual yep. delights, right? Um, and so, and, and that's really the whole point. I think it's really hard to get yourself in the mood, as it were, mm -hmm. on Good Friday, mm -hmm. if you're like full and you're like, you know, yeah. just like, again, it's extremely comfortable. Um, you know, how, how are you really connecting to our Lord's suffering? Mm -hmm. um, you know, he who was yeah. stripped of all pleasures on the cross. Right. How are you connecting with that if you yourself are not experiencing that on some level? So, um, yeah, really, again, that's the idea of Lent. Yes. You touch on the deepest, the deepest levels of reality, you know, it kind of gets you back in touch with things. Yeah. You know, being yeah. hungry. Yeah, exactly. You know, for people who are so, as you mentioned before, Father, for people who are so uh, usually not um, starving. Yeah. Uh, or people who usually are full that experience the pain of hunger kind of reorients yourself and gets you back in touch. Yeah. The deepest parts of reality. Yeah, exactly. I think that's true. Um, with the, um, the idea of Lent coming up, I've been thinking about penance, confession as well. Something that came up I wanted to ask you guys and kind of hash out as an idea is why uh, when you go to confession, your penance is seems disconnected from the list of sins you're telling the priest. It's like, all right, you know, usually it's like, say, two Our Fathers or say a rosary or something. How is there a connection? This is what I've been thinking about. How is there a connection between saying Our Fathers and, and your sins? So it seems more appropriate that you would have to be, uh, like, assigned something to repair the damages. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's um, that's a good question. I think I, I've had a lot of people, too, uh, in confessions where like, oh, Father, that penance is not enough. Give me, you know, mm -hmm. uh, is that <laughs> I it? I can take you know? it. <laughs> I can take it. Give me more. But um, I usually double down on the penance I already signed. Yeah. Make it lighter. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now it's only half an hour, yeah. Father. You know, because, <laughs> um, But no, because uh, ultimately um, there can be um, uh, this false idea that our penance is what wipes away our sin. Mm. Um, when it, really it's only God's mercy that mm -hmm. wipes away our sin. Um and so, yeah, just, just to not fall into that idea that, like, if, like, my, like, it's what I'm doing that is able to achieve salvation. Um, salvation and, and forgiveness is always a gift, mm. always a gift. Um, the way I've heard it um, explained uh, in my sacraments class, um, as it relates to penance, is, uh, is kind of like you want to make up something to the person that you've offended. So, uh, you know, imagine if uh, you have a friend that you've wronged somehow and after a conversation, you know, he says, okay, I, I you know, thank you for saying I'm sorry. I forgive you. Um, you're forgiven. Your relationship is restored. But on your part, you might still want to make it up to that person. You know, like, you know, thanks for forgiving me. I, I'm glad, you know, we can get over this, but let me still take you out to lunch tomorrow. Right. Um, you know, that in a sense, that can be um, analogous to penance mm -hmm. as relates to the sacrament of confession. Uh, there's a psychological um, 
effect of doing your part, mm-hmm. um, even though if it's a total gift. Right. Um, so that, that's how I understand it. Now, I don't want to um, just equate um, the sacrament of confession to psychology. You know, this yeah, is not sure. a counseling session. Mm-hmm. It's not therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actual real grace that's afforded, um, even in doing penance. Right. Um, but uh, I think that's what it's touching on, ultimately. Um, yeah, I, I've been thinking about this over the last couple of days, and um, just the things that are coming to mind kind of in line of Lent and fasting is that just that need for attention to the proper thing. Uh and so how that relates to penance is that your disorientation, your missing the marks, your harmatia, um, you bring to the confessional box. And you list all the ways that you've not that been... You missed a mark. Yeah, yeah that you missed a mark, yeah. that you've not been oriented. Right. Um, and, and in a sense, you're, you're listing the ways that you've been distracted, mm-hmm. right? Like off the track of... Mm-hmm. Salvation. Yeah. Um, and so what's given to you is now, okay, you're off the track. You're not paying attention to the proper thing. Go now into the church and pay attention properly. Yeah. And that's, that's really all you're doing. Because I, I don't, like, you're right in that you're not actually repaying the debt of sin because that's, there's an infinite chasm there, and that's always a gift. And so the only thing you can do is focus again and pay attention and sacrifice yeah. to the highest thing. Um, right. And so the penance and penalty are coming from the same words. And then it's, it's you know, even cognitive scientifically, the way that we pay attention has this, a correlation with paying something. Like you're, you're sacrificing attention that could be afforded somewhere else yeah. and you're paying it to something. Yeah. So yep. paying attention and penance and penalties are all kind of interwined as mm-hmm. this kind of focus yep. on the right track. Which is worship. Correct. Which, yeah. yeah. Ultimately, yeah. it's worship, and so the the yeah. priest is trying to get you to be on the right track to pay yeah. the proper attention. That is, yeah. that's a very good way to put it. Unfortunately, that is totally misunderstood when people receive penance. Right. <laughs> and I think I mean like, and that's that's not anything against what you were saying. I mm-hmm. think that that falls more on like the priests and leaders of the mm-hmm. church who need to explain these things more. Um, but I think penance can so often become this thing that you just check off your list. Right. The priest says three, I say three Hail Marys, I say three Hail Marys. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just doing it in a car just to get it over with so that I can be forgiven. Yep. You know, like yep. there's this misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's like a magic yeah. spell. It's like yeah. say these words and you're good. Yeah. Right. But you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting that like as it relates to sin, so many people connect their sins with a lack of prayer intuitively. Mm. Um, right. You know, in confessions, it's like, you know, I did these sins, I'm lacking, like, and my prayer has been lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's just to your point. Is that like you can only afford ultimate attention to one thing? Yep. Um, our hearts are made to love mm-hmm. in a in a hierarchical way. You can't like like God says you can't love both God and Mammon. Yeah. You can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're you're failing in these areas, naturally there's going to be a connection to your prayer life. Yep. For sure. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, that was a good point. So. Yeah, I. So there's the um, the classic distinction between the eternal punishment. And the temporal punishment mm-hmm. afforded to each sin, so or yeah, for every sin that you commit. So in confession, the eternal punishment is forgiven, but the temporal punishment is the thing that remains. And mm-hmm. I think that's what penance repairs. Yes, because yeah. then there's you know the classic example of you you break somebody's window, mm-hmm. you go and you say you're sorry, but the window's still broken. Right, so you still have to repair the mm-hmm. window. So going to confession is saying that you're sorry, but then you have to make it up. Some you have to fix mm-hmm. the thing somehow. Yeah, um, and that's through uh, that's that's through whatever penance that you're given. Mm. That the temporal punishment is remitted, I guess, or satisfaction is yeah. made. Um, but that that would fit still into this scheme of or this idea of paying attention because you, right. you still have to. You can't ignore that you broke the window. Yeah. Right. Um, and you can't ignore the, uh, perhaps even the thing before that, right. like what you were doing to break the window, right. or, or you know what were you doing to to fall into this sin? It was probably a lack of prayer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it really is the penance is really to reorient yourself, and to pay attention to the things that, um, that led you there, and then also, um, the things that will lead you away from there, mm-hmm. which is yeah. prayer and God. And that's um, I think yeah no that's um. That, that classical distinction between temporal and uh, eternal punishment and re- um, making penance to um, 
to take away from that temporal, what is due to your temporal punishment, is still apt, and I think it fits in with what we were talking mm-hmm. about. Um, because reorienting yourself is never easy. It's not like you just say an Our Father, mm-hmm. um, right. and then you're totally reoriented. Yep. Like it, it's almost like an unbending mm-hmm. uh, to where it is painful, and you can understand yep. that um, getting back on track as punishment. Right. Like this is how, like this is what you've done mm-hmm. to your soul. Like you you mm-hmm. punctured a hole through your soul. Like you know breaking yep. a window. It's like how are you going to repair this now? Right. Um, and so it's not an arbitrary imposition of like, well, God wants you to now make up for your you yeah. know sins. Mm-hmm. Um, so just you know pay up a thousand dollars. You know. Right. Um, it's actually something on a natural level mm-hmm. that you, that is painful to undo. Right. Um, and that's um, that gets to Dante's purgatory. I have a passage in there that as it relates to pleasure and, and all this we're talking about, but before we get there. Yeah, before you read that, yeah. I was thinking about how that really just kind of goes into Peterson's whole like clean your room thing and, and do the small things that lead to the mm. big things, that whole mantra. Uh, because if your day is oriented based off your prayer life, like that's the first thing you do, you go to the top of the mountain, pray, sacrifice, and then everything flows from that, that's proper orientation. Mm-hmm. And so when the priest is telling you to go pray, he's saying restart. Like now Mm -hmm. you're going to restart your life and start at the top. Yeah. And so it doesn't end with the Our Fathers. That's where you started. And then you're going to go home and pay for the broken window. Like now you're Mm going to feel the effects of all your disorientations and you're going to do the small things in your life. But the only way to do that properly is to pay attention to the highest thing first. So it's like go restart. Yeah. That's... um. I remember Peterson made it this really good point. Um, it was in his conversation with um, John Verveke and Jonathan Peugeot. Um, it looked like it was in like in his like living room, like man cave or whatever. <laughs> I can't. This was a, a few months ago, but um, he made a great point about uh, deathbed conversions. Mm. Um, and he said like, "Oh, people get on the church for um, you know having this idea that if a person can like is contrite and confesses their sins on their deathbed." And they're totally forgiven, and they get a free pass into heaven. Right. As if all the things in their um, life didn't matter. Didn't matter. Um, but he made this great point, and this is connected to our conversation, how he's like, if a person had a true conversion, that regret is heavy. Yeah. And that's painful. Mm-hmm. To realize that your entire life was on the wrong path. Right. Like, you're, you're, in a sense, it was wasted, mm-hmm. right? Not focusing on the right thing. To come to grips with that and facing that evil, right. um, that's painful, and we can understand that as a kind of temporal punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, right, you know. So, and that's like a, almost a purgatorial um, suffering. Yeah, um, is like I like my will was so bent, mm-hmm. um, and now like it's it's a deep sense of regret in a sense that you could have yeah. lived your life so much better. Right. Um, and Peterson's like Peterson rightly said, "Don't take that lightly." Mm-hmm. And the church is onto someone onto something when she says. Like those deathbed conversions are valid. Um, understand is the idea of like reorienting yourself and mm-hmm. how painful that can be. So, yeah. You want to read from Dante? Is it Dante time? Yeah. All right, let's yes, go. Sweet. All right, let's go. <laughs> no, so um, this was um, reading Dante's Divine Comedy was instrumental in my own formation. Um, reading in undergrad, um, going back to that idea of um, pleasure and um, um, you know, creation is uh, fundamentally good. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of that from Dante, um, understanding that from Dante. And so um, as it relates to pleasure, um, as it relates to um, delighting in, in good things, um, Dante's purgatory is set up in this way that it, um, the amount of purgatory, um, the whole idea of purgatory is to undo um, the, your crooked desires. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... You know, I think all of us, um, you know, living in a, um, a, 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 you know, a, a Protestant society, uh, more or less, um, you know, when we say that we live in a Christian society, American Christianity is influenced in part by yeah. Protestantism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there could be this sense that all pleasure is bad, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, in order for me to do um, God's will, I can't do my will. Like right, those, those right. two are intrinsically mm-hmm. opposed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but Dante's position is that uh, we can actually align our wills to the will of God, mm-hmm. to where we desire what God desires. So it's not so much suppressing our desires, but actually 
um, letting them flourish properly. Um, so it's not that we negate desires, it's that we actually f uh, have them fulfilled, yep. right? Um, and if we understand human nature as all oriented to God naturally, like that's our proper end, just as a um, the proper end of a tree is to flourish, um, the proper end of human nature is to flourish in God, mm -hmm. um, then this is not just an arbitrary thing that we um, uh, uh, we ascribe to our end. Right? Right. It's not an arbitrary um, uh, fulfillment. Mm -hmm. Like we can just connect to anything that'll allow us to flourish. Right. But rather, um, we're actually seeking our own end, and that's the way we're going to be most fulfilled. Yep. Naturally, um, that's where Dante is coming from. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, in the Purgatory, um, after he goes through uh, the Inferno, um, comes to Purgatory, and he describes it as the mountain that disevils sin. Mm. Um, he, I think, uh, in Italian, is dismala. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it, it undoes yeah. what sin has done to the soul. Um, and the way that purgatory is designed is that um, it's like a corkscrew. Mm -hmm. And so there's this imagery of like unwinding, yeah, like yeah. uncorking your desires. Mm. So you can imagine like your will is all bent and like yeah. purgatory is going to straighten it out, mm. right? And so he goes through uh, the levels of purgatory. Um, and, and we can even focus on like we can do a whole podcast on Dante, <laughs> honestly. I can. Sure. Um, but um, like just for example, when uh, in the, um, the level of... Um, the gluttonous, mm -hmm. um, as it relates to Lent, they are deprived of eating anything. Um, and there's like a tree hanging over them with a single apple. Mm -hmm. And they're all kind of like clamoring for that apple. It's not, again, it's not so much that uh, food is bad. Right. But they were so attached to their sin that they have to now um, undo right. that attachment. Um, so that they can then properly delight in food. Mm -hmm. um, but to properly delight in that food, you can't be, um, uh, you have to almost... Um, uh, do, do a total negation right. of that right. thing, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, all that is leading up to the end of Purgatory where um, Dante and Virgil speak for the last time. Uh, mm -hmm. this is, these are Virgil's last words to Dante. Um, Virgil being that guide that led Dante through hell, through Purgatory, but because he's um, a pagan, not baptized, mm -hmm. he can't go on with Dante to heaven. Yep. Um, but he's able to He's able to bring Dante through the natural ways of uh, on which conversion mm -hmm. can happen. Right. Um, and so this is when Dante is, um, yeah, he got he went through purgator purgatory. He's at the top. Um, he experienced all those sufferings that purgatory lent him. Mm -hmm. And so Virgil now says, "My son, this is Canto twenty-seven from Purgatory." These are Virgil's words to Dante. "My son, you've seen a temporary fire and the eternal fire." Temporary eternal. There you go. <laughs> you have reached the place past which my powers cannot see. Again, because he's mm -hmm. not blessed, you know, right? He's um, mm -hmm. a pagan. I brought you here through intellect and art. Intellect and art, natural ways. Mm -hmm. From now on, from now on, let your pleasure be your guide. You're past the steep and past the narrow paths. Look at the sun that shines upon your brow. Look at the grasses, flowers, and the shrubs born here spontaneously of the earth. It's interesting that he just like goes on this little rant about the nature, mm -hmm. but um, again, nature by its own course finds its proper end, right? right. And so, right. just as the flowers and trees grow spontaneously, finding their end to flourish, and mm -hmm. to flourish, so too does man, properly oriented, find its own course mm. and pleasure in God, right? So he says, among them you can rest or walk until the coming of the glad and lovely eyes. Those eyes that weeping sent me to your side, Beatrice, that mm -hmm. inspired him to, to go on his journey. He's like, await no further word or sign from me. Your will is free, erect, and whole. Mm. To act against that will would be to err. Therefore, I crown and mitre you over yourself. It's like, mm. brilliant, yeah. brilliant words. Um, and I wow. think that that really gets to the heart of Lent. Yeah. Uh, it's like you're undoing all those things that are preventing you from having full union with God. Yep. Um, I, I think that, that this is also the best explanation of what purgatory does to your soul. Mm -hmm. If people say, like, wh why do you need purgatory? Yeah. It's like, when you die, do you think that your will is totally erect? Right. Like, is, are your pleasures perfectly oriented? Right. Mm -hmm. um, that's where the process of purgation, really burning off that stuff that mm -hmm. is preventing you from having that will. I do um, think yeah. that, that the Protestant, um, the kind of puritanical idea that, you know, we're bad and God covers us over like snow on dung yeah. heap, that kind of idea. Um, that really does shade a lot of things like penance and 
conversion and fasting, like into this like ah, earth bad, heaven good, yeah. and this kind of dualistic mm-hmm. idea. But it really is the um, the whole. I mean, the etymology of atonement is at one mint. So at one. Right, yeah, so one exactly. might think yeah. that it's right. like oh, to repair the bad stuff that happened because we did a bad thing and we got to make up for it. Like this yeah. constant focus on salvation as opposed to a restoration of theosis. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? The whole yeah. ultimate goal is to be one with God, right? So it's like, it's not your desires versus God. It's it's live in a way such that yours is in parallel with his. Yeah. Right? And that's that's right. going to be like right. letting, letting your desire be your guide yeah. means that you're perfectly aligned with God's will and God's vision. Yep. Yeah. Well, you can't have um, two conflicting desires. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what... That's what um, Saint John of the Cross would say in the Sent to Mount Carmel is it's it's about emptying empty, emptying yourself mm-hmm. to make space for God yeah, so that God right. fills it in because if you have a will that wills something contrary to His mm-hmm. if you have desires and appetites and and attachments well then how how is God supposed to fill that space yeah right right how is He supposed to you know essentially enter a soul that um, is already burdened. Mm-hmm. And covered over with so many things. Right. So yeah. the idea is to, to make room, mm-hmm. as you're saying. Yep. To to have your desire be his, and then if that's true, as Dante would say, then you can lead. You can let your desires lead you. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Because yours are his. Yep. Exactly. And that's why you know it's such a such a shame that like when people I think nowadays think of saints, or they think of living a holy life, they think of it of like being this like you know hard faced, you know no emotion stoic. Yeah. Like praying a rosary mm-hmm. in the pew, mm-hmm. like that's a holy life. And it's like that is not attractive at all. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, right, right. you know, yes, pray a rosary in your pew. Okay, yeah, I get yeah. it. But you know, I think Dante paints a beautiful picture of what a life of holiness looks like, where it's a passionate, yeah, it's a passionate life where you just take delight in the proper things. Mm-hmm. And like I think all of us can, on some level, appreciate or, or find attract uh, attraction to this idea of like. Imagine if you were just free from all those things that just burdened you on an earthly level. Mm-hmm. And it's like you wake up and it's like, I just want to live passionately and find my end. Right. And everything you do is actually leading you to that end. And that's not in a Gnostic sense in that like you're like leaving this earth. No. You know what I'm saying? Course, like yeah. I just want to like float above all of my responsibilities, but it's it's seeing them in accordance with your ultimate goal. Yeah, exactly. So it's like I'm going to work. I'm feeding my family. I'm interacting with neighbors like whatever whatever it is yeah. all of that fits into the nested this is for well you actually do it more abortion. passionately exactly yeah. well right. if yeah. it, it, it there's no um contradiction and it yeah. doesn't it doesn't feel like a struggle because yeah, exactly. you see how it all fits yeah and then things that don't fit you gut check yeah does this mm-hmm. need to go does this need to stay and that's yeah, like right. what lent is all about yeah, like exactly. do a spring cleaning yeah exactly which we need to be reminded of i think that's the genius of the feast is that or of the the liturgical seasons, is that yeah. you can totally just if if Lent doesn't exist, you could just live totally. I mean, you could get into the comfort zone that you were talking about, Father, of uh, just forgetting to take time to think about mortality, yep. sin, death, mm-hmm. detachment. Like you may never think about it. Yeah. So this is like you said, it's a spring cleaning. It's time yeah. to refocus. You know, you had Christmas. You had <laughs> <Yeah>. New Year's. <laughs> no, you you ate a lot. You yeah. got a lot of gifts. You got a lot of stuff. Yeah. Maybe it's time for spring cleaning. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's time to, to reorient. Yeah, get that yeah. turkey out of your system <laughs> exactly. yeah, from, from Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, isn't the um, the definition of metanoia also is to what change one's mind or perspective? Yeah, change of mind. Yeah, ch- yeah. yeah. So yeah. all of that is that kind yeah. of like put on the mind of Christ. You know what I'm right. saying? Like, it's like when we when we go to Ash Wednesday Mass and it, it's like, you're going to be dust. It's like, all right, well, I need to refocus. Yeah. Who do I refocus to? How do I refocus? Yeah. What's the best way to live this life? And then and then you go through the entire yes. passion story. Yeah, and it's not just, um, you know, putting on the mind of Christ is really um, really following his command to follow him. I was, uh, I, I recently watched that interview. Um, who's the Rene Girard expert? Um, Luke Burgess. Yes, yeah. Luke Burgess with Bishop Barron. Mm-hmm. He gave a great um, explanation of what, what Christ means when he says, follow me. He's like, come follow me. It's not, it's not um, wear what I wear, mm-hmm. right? Um, walk how I walk. Yeah. I don't know, um, put on the same accent 
and that's actually like what Lent can become is like, mm-hmm. oh, we just like on uh, on the surface surface level, we're just checking off the boxes. Right. But as Luke Burgess said, he said, "Desire what I desire." Yeah, that's what it is. Desire mm-hmm. what I desire. That's really what follow me means. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's that internal internal reorienting. So, um, I was I was reading a little bit of Jung, and he talked about something that I probably Peterson got from him about um, kind of attitudes and mental attitudes, and how sometimes we take an attitude and we talk about it in a spiritual way. So we say somebody is doing something in a new spirit. Mm. Or, you know, my spirits are renewed mm-hmm. or, you know, like there's a, a doing something in the, in the spirit of the founding fathers or something right. like that. Mm-hmm. But what you mean is doing it in a mental attitude mm. or a, a mood, but yet you're, you're talking about in a spiritual way. Um, and he said mm-hmm. that the spiritual life can be something where can be summed up as you're, you're ruled by a spirit of something. So mm-hmm. the spiritual life for us is to be ruled by the spirit of Christ. Yeah. That is that is what guides you. Right. That's your ruling principle. And in the, in this time of Lent, it's to be guided and ruled by the Spirit of Christ. Yeah, exactly. To, to, to yep. like you said, not do the same exact things as we've talked about before or to wear the same things, yep. but to be guided by his example and to desire what what his Spirit would mm-hmm. desire. Yeah, exactly. Basically. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, which is it kind of ties back into the liturgy again, of being like, if if it's all about attention, if it's all about proper orientation, um, and that has a parallel to sacrifice, and that we have to pay attention to something, and we offer sacrifice to the highest thing, that ultimately culminates in that moment in the Mass, the Eucharistic doxology, when we say, through Him, with Him, and in Him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, it's it's through Christ, with Christ, and in Christ that the ultimate sacrifice is made. Yes. Right? And so that is our ultimate attention and our ultimate orientation yeah. is that moment. And then that from there, our whole life comes down. Yeah, so exactly. it's the, the little microcosm of penance being like, go say to our fathers and from there your life's going to restart. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that ultimately culminates in the highest point in the mass yeah. when we say this, this is the orientation. It's, and then this is, the, this is the way you're going to see the world. It's going to yeah. be through Christ, the lens of Christ, putting on right. Christ's mind. Right. Um, that's going to be right. the best way forward in order to orient your desires to have yeah. at one mint, et cetera. And, yeah. And you can't, you can't do that if you're attached to comfort. You just can't. Right. Um, or at, at the very least, you cannot delight in that if yeah. you're attached to comfort. Right. Because um, what you're ultimately yeah. admitting is what are you putting on as the highest thing? Like, are you seeing through your love of food or, yeah, or yeah, exactly. your love of sleep or whatever it is? Like that becomes the means by which that's right. the top of your mountain yeah. that you see everything else, right. and so that disorients you. Yeah, right. Yeah, like that's that's the spirit in a sense that right. guides you. Yep, is the spirit of comfort or the spirit of the world, of the world, or you know whatever yeah. you want to call mm-hmm. it. Um, or is it or is it the spirit of Christ? And again, I think as yeah. we've mentioned throughout, that's what Lent is trying to get us to ask and get us to reorient. Is is it the spirit of the world or is it the spirit of Christ that is your prevailing attitude? Yeah, and to Ask, ask yourself honestly. If you say, oh, "I have a spiritual life," right? But then you have to ask, "What is the spirit that guides your like the lens?" As you mm-hmm. said, "What is it that you're in and through and right. with?" Uh-huh. Is it truly Christ, or is right. it is it something else? Yep. Yeah, good place to stop. We're gonna um, jump into the uh, bonus episode. We've got a couple of questions to answer. Um, you guys can sign up for that at basicallyrelated.com. Um, and we'll see you on the other side.